We all have questions in life and ministry, and Pastor Ed Taylor suggests looking to the Bible for answers. Somebody has something, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know a good response? Well, what does the scripture say? You might even want to get into that habit. Not does what, what does Pastor Ed say, not what Pastor Chuck say, not does what the Bible Answer Man says, or anyone else that might have an answer. The best question to ask is, what does the scripture say? Good question to ask. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. One of the most fascinating and well-known persons in the Bible is Abraham. Yes, he lived long ago, but his story still speaks to us today, providing great encouragement. Glad to have you on board and welcome to Abounding Grace. In Romans chapter 4, the argument for salvation by grace through faith is made by using the historical account of Abraham. Pastor Ed Taylor will explore this liberating truth of how God not only saved Abraham by faith apart from works, but us too. At the beginning of our study in Romans, we looked at how it is often called the gospel of grace. And it's called the gospel of grace because the theme of grace comes up at every turn. And in the studies that we've studied thus far, the times that we've gathered together, grace has been a big part of what Paul wants to get into our minds, into the Roman Christians, but also into our minds. He wants to teach us that God, he loves you supremely right now. You have a bad week, God, he loves you. Did you have a good week? God, he loves you. Was it a bad week and you think he loves you less? He doesn't. Was it a good week and you think he loves you more? He doesn't. He supremely loves you apart from your works and your deeds. Now, for some of you that have been raised in a tradition that emphasizes works and deeds, it's hard for you to understand. Not only is it hard for you to understand, but it's also hard for you to believe. You might have been raised in such a way where works were paramount where it was work, 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 and then when you're done working, do a little bit more work to please God. When it's faith that pleases God. And it's faith that develops works. And so grace doesn't say, Christian, don't ever do anything for the Lord, but rather like Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness. You do and I do have been created and we have in our lives works that come from faith, but not the other way around. And so we learned last time, didn't we, that salvation doesn't come by keeping the Ten Commandments. Why? Because none of us can keep the Ten Commandments. None of us have, none of us do, and none of us ever will. James even says that if you failed in one little small part of the law, guess what? You failed in it all. And so it's not keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not keeping an elaborate code of conduct. It's not by rituals. It's not by religious expressions. Salvation comes by faith. Now remember, in the early church, most of the believers were Jewish, even in the Roman church. A lot of Gentiles are coming to faith later on in the book of Acts, but at the outset, by the end of the first century, a predominant group of believers were Jews. And as Jews are listening to Paul write his letter, in their mind, they have questions, and Paul anticipates those questions. And he anticipates a question today as we pick up in chapter 4, verse 1, a question about Abraham. 
And so he asks it for them. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? What is it exactly that Abraham has found in his life, in his humanity, in the things that he does as a human being? Because the question is, what about Abraham? I mean, if it's by grace through faith, then what about Abraham? Because when I look at Abraham's life, I see a lot of works, they might think. And so Paul asks them the question. Because in the mind of the Jew, the thought for salvation was, I need to become a Jew first, be circumcised and come under Abraham. And then after I'm circumcised and come under the law, then I can become a Christian. In Acts chapter 15, in the first church council, they battled through all that. What does it take for a person to be a Christian? And they worked through it that they came to the same conclusion that Paul does here. It's by faith by faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul opens up after chapter 3, he has this brilliant theological argument why it's salvation by faith. And now he gives us a human example. And human examples are always good. That's why the Old Testament exists for us, to show us that God uses regular human beings like Abraham. And so verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something of which to boast, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Verse 3, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So Abraham, what about him? You know, most people in that day, most Jews believed that Abraham was perfect in all his ways. When you study through the Jewish writings, the Mishnah, even the book of Jubilees, you'll find places where the predominant thought of the day, the teaching of tradition, was Abraham was perfect. In 200 B.C., in the book Jubilees, I quote, For Abraham was perfect in all his deeds before the Lord, and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. That was the thought with Abraham. I mean, Abraham, in their mind, according to their tradition, was perfect, never made a mistake. Now, was Abraham perfect? Just ask Sarah. Oh, my goodness. Abraham made some real knucklehead decisions as a husband, didn't he? He would ask Sarah, is your husband perfect? (laughs) I don't think so, because he wasn't. But I'll tell you what, traditions are hard to break. Traditions, we all have them, you know. Regular traditions, family traditions, yes, even religious traditions. And traditions can be some of the hardest things to break, especially religious traditions. You know, traditions can really blind a person to the truth. Where you might have grown up with a certain teaching, a certain instruction in a certain church with your father saying it and your grandfather saying it. And not only did it stop, it didn't stop with your grandfather, it went all the way back. And the attitude is, this is what we believe. This is what we've always believed. This is what the church has taught us. And tradition actually puts a layer over your eyes so that you no longer can read the scriptures for what they say. But now they are interpreted in and from and through a person's tradition. And so here's the tradition. Abraham was perfect. How do you know he's perfect? Because my granddaddy told me he was perfect. And the teachers told me he was perfect. And the rabbis told me he was perfect. And then you open up the scriptures to Genesis and say, I don't see him being perfect. And you know you're caught up in tradition when you come away from the scripture saying, I don't care what they say. This is what I believe. And does that happen today within the church? Oh, absolutely. Some of you right now are battling traditions. The way you were raised. The the way that you were taught. Even Calvary Chapel, we can develop traditions. Some of them very good. 
Some of them can trap us if we're not careful. That we say, well, we've always done it this way. Really? We've always done it this way? Why don't we do it a new way? Well, because we've always done it this way. Well, why don't we change it? Well, because we've always done it this way. Well, what if God wants to do something new? And you know the answer. We've always done it this way. And it's very easy for us to get into a traditional rut in relation to the things of God. And don't think for a moment that any of us in this room are exempt from that. It's human nature. And we've got to guard ourselves. I think the real question for us is, are we ready for a new work from the Lord? That's an important question. Are you ready for something fresh and something new from the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? Or are you settled into a place of comfort and ease and you're not letting anyone move you an inch? Comfort and ease. I think it's easy to get comfortable. And you know what comfort does? Comfort sets you up to become not only comfortable, but then you're immovable. And you have become the frozen chosen and you don't move. You're frozen that way in time. It's the way it's always been done. It's the way it's always going to be done. And you're in a place where you're unmovable. Nobody can even move you an inch anymore because you're set in your ways. Well, I'll tell you, comfort leads to immovability, which then leads to becoming unusable in the kingdom of God. Because you're so stuck in tradition, especially those traditions that contradict clearly the word of God. When you find beliefs in your life clearly contradicting the word of God, let me please give you a piece of advice. Choose God's word. Choose God's word and be ready for a new word. Because I'll show you what happens when you don't. Flip over to Matthew chapter 9. It's important for us as a church as well, gang, because in a couple months, everything's going to change in this church. Everything. Whether you've been with us for seven years or you've been with us for seven minutes, everything's going to change. And you know what? I'm glad. And I'm open. I'm open to see what the Lord might want to do through this little church. I, have, I tend to have in my heart the same openness I had when I first moved here. Lord, what do you really want to do? I don't think for a moment, just in case you've ever wondered, that we've arrived. I'm always looking for open doors from the Lord. I'm always seeking out, what is it, Lord, you would have us to do? And not only do I want something new from the Lord, but you know what? I want to be new, and I want to be fresh. And pick up with me in verse 14 of chapter 9. Jesus speaks to this very issue of traditions, and he uses a couple of illustrations. The disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often? It was a tradition for them. They fasted traditionally. They fasted religiously. It was a habit for them. It was a routine for them. And they noticed, now wait a minute, why are we fasting and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? Something doesn't measure up here. And Jesus answered them, verse 15, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. I mean, it'll be a purpose in fasting. There's a coming a day, Jesus says, where spiritually they will fast and seek the Father. But for now, they're with the bridegroom. They're they're hanging out with me and enjoying it. And then he explains, verse 16, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the terror is made worse. Nor, verse 17, do people put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break. You are typified in this application as the wineskins. God wanting to pour new wine, wanting to do a new work. And your question, the question before us is, am I just an old wineskin? And I'm ready for anything new. I don't want anything new. I want the same old thing. 
I don't want to grow spiritually. I don't want to see. You know, there was a time, there was a time where there were people coming up after a service here in the fellowship, and they would say something along the lines, you know, Pastor Ed, we're not coming back to the church. And I go, why not? So, well, we just don't want to be in a church that's growing. <laughs> and I go, really? He says, yeah, we, 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 I just don't, I don't want to be in a part of something that's going to grow and is going to take off. And I, and I asked them, I said, how many people are going to be in heaven? And it makes them think. Because in their mind, they're like, I don't want to be in something that's growing. Well, what do you want to be in something that's shrinking? Do you want to be in something where God's hand is not no longer on it? Where he's no longer blessing? You see, here's the thing. I share that with you because as a pastor, I hear those things. And on occasion, they come out of people's mouths. But for the most part, things like that never come out of people's mouths. They only think it. They wrestle with it in their minds. But by the time it comes out of their lips, even when they hear it, they're like, I don't know if that's even something I should be believing. But I believe it. And they wrestle. And they move. And they run. And they jump. And they, they're all this activity. When, when God says, listen, here is the criteria for church. Go where I tell you to go. That's it. And if you hear from the Lord, then you need to obey the Lord. And when you obey the Lord, then you find a fellowship family where you plant your roots down deep like Psalm 1. And then you bear fruit for the kingdom. Not for the church, but for the kingdom of God. See, a new wineskin then is no longer just church-minded, but now kingdom-minded. And you know, that's always been the direction of our fellowship. It's never been a little church-on-the-corner mentality here. Our desire is to be used of the Lord to our capacity of overflowing beyond our abilities. And I pray that's in your heart, because things are going to change in just eight weeks. And I, like I shared before, on my heart is this message that I'll share. I don't know exactly yet what the ingredients are, but I know the title. So when we move, some things will change, but some things must never change about who we are as a church. And we never define ourselves by the building that we meet in. You got to guard yourself from that. You might be all excited. Oh, man, we get, come on to church now. We've got a building. Because you're having a hard time telling people, come on to church, the school. Yeah, the school. Yeah, the school. You aren't going to be able to sit down. Sorry. No room for you at the school. The chairs, well, they're comfortable for middle schoolers. The pulpit, well, I'm reminded of a principal when I think of this pulpit telling me about being tardy. And you think of all the things that God wants to do in your hearts and in your minds. It's not about our surroundings, is it? It's about our hearts. So the question is, are you ready for something new from the Lord? Not only from your own life and your own heart, but also for the church that God's called you to be a part of. Or are you going to be the old wineskin? Nobody's going to pour anything new into me. Or go ahead and try, Jesus. Pour some new wine into me. But if you're an old wineskin, I want to warn you what's going to happen. He says, nor do people put, verse 17, new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. So you can look forward to breaking. The wine is spilled, so all that God's wanting to do in your life is spilled, and the wineskins are what? Ruined. That's the end of an attitude like that. Ruined. Unusable. Immovable. Comfortable. But not really in the will of God. And I pray... A prayer that I pray for you individually and a prayer that I pray for us as Calvary Chapel is that we not become rigid and inflexible to the leading of God's Holy Spirit. That we are led by a spirit. We're not driven by some purpose. We're not driven by some carnal method. That we're simply led by the Holy Spirit. 
that you run, that's how your life is run. That's how your home is run. That's what is in your heart of hearts that you want to hear from God and you want to follow God at all costs. Just as denominations and movements before us, we can so easily become fixed in our ways and lose sight of God's work today. Of course, with Calvary Chapel, we have our origins in the late 60s and the early 70s with the hippies, the unreached group of the day, the hippies. Now, I've never seen a hippie. Well, I mean, I've seen a some. I wasn't there in the 70s. I was like a baby in the 70s. So I, I didn't see a hippie then. Now, you might have said, have you ever seen a hippie? It's like, yeah, I was one. Peace, man. <laughs> Great. But let me tell you something. Other than a few select places in Colorado, you're not going to find a lot of hippies today. There are a few, but not many. You know, God still loves them now as he did then with that mindset. But there's a whole new group that God wants to use today. Are you ready for that? We can't be going back and, oh, praise the Lord for the 70s. Praise the Lord for the 70s. I wish we were in the 70s. I don't. I'm blessed that we're today being used of God. Oh, it's glorious. It's a wonderful work of God's spirit. It's a wonderful thing that God has done then, but we don't live then. Where do we live? Now. So then the question becomes, what is God doing now through me and through you? We can't get caught up in some religious rut thinking that, oh, what God has done in the past. You know, it happens not only in movements, but also in a church like ours. Again, speaking to the growth that we've seen and what God has done in our midst. If you've been with us for a while, some of you have been with us for seven years. There's even a select few of you that were here before I even got here seven years ago. And if you're always thinking, well, I remember back when the days of 1999, you are already in the traditional rut. If you're looking at that to be duplicated today, because we're not back in 1999, something fresh and something new, just like you're looking for in your life. But if you're an old wineskin, if you're an old wineskin, then you can look not only to be broken, but also, if you're not careful, to be ruined. And I don't want to be ruined. I want the Lord to do something great. We've got to guard against the notion as a church that we think we've got it all figured out. So churches, we just know now this is what church is. You know, we're not no longer seeking the Lord with questions like, God, what do you want and what do you desire? But now we're just seeking the Lord. We already know what you're going to do, Lord. We already know how it works. We got, we got one song and one psalm. We got announcements. And you know, he's going to teach for a while. I don't know how long. It's going to be a long time, but I don't know how long. And, you know, and, and we know how to do this. And we're just going to do that because we're a church now. And, and now, you know, no longer meeting in a school. We're going to be meeting in a more permanent facility. And, oh, now we're permanent. Now we're a real church. I've shared the story with you before when I used to answer the church phone. And, and I would take the phone with me on my cell phone as I was working through the city and on, on my way back to the post office running errands. And I would just answer the phone. And I remember answering the phone one day and the lady uh, on the other end had spoken about, hey, I heard you on the radio and, and I just want some information on your church. And so I shared some of the information with her on the church and, and shared with her we meet at Columbia Middle School. And that like pause, there was a big, deep pause. Columbia Middle School? Yeah, Columbia Middle School, we meet, and I saw she was asking how we did it. So we meet here, and we got the commons area, and she said, Columbia Middle School? And I said, yeah, Columbia Middle School. And there was another pause, and she said, well, you guys sounded like a real church on the radio. <laughs> and you know what? That really bothered me, because it called into question that we were a real church. I thought we were a real church, you know, and uh, the people coming at the time thought we were a real church. But here's somebody that threw out a curveball and I, real church. And I drove across town to go meet with Gino Geraci because he was available uh, to me in those early days, still is today. And, and he was there and I went into his office and we had a little conversation and he fully convinced me that we were a real church. And I left his office. 
and went back into the ministry. <laughs> but you see, you're in a part of a fellowship where you have a leadership team that's always seeking the Lord. We just want to know what he wants, what he desires. If it's on that five acres for the, until eternity, until the rapture, great, because it's not about a building, right? Okay. I'm not ashamed either as a pastor to stand up to here before you and say, I don't have the answer to everything in this church. I really don't. You might come up and say, well, I heard you share such and such. Like, you have a vision for this, Ed. How's that going to happen? I don't know. When's it going to happen? I don't know. How are you going to make it happen? I have no idea. Well, you sure don't know much. You're right. I don't. But see, God has birthed these things in my heart, whether it's a Bible college, whether it's elementary school, whether it's a high school. I have no idea how God's going to make it happen, but I know that he's put that in my heart. I know that. And I know he's going to open the right doors. And I know he's going to give the right people. And I know he's going to get the right resources. And so I don't lose sleep over it. But I'm not ashamed to tell you that I don't have all the answers. There'll be times where you come to me and you have a very direct question and I have a very direct answer. I don't know. Why don't you go home and pray about it? Maybe God knows. We'll pray together. We'll see what answer you get, see what answer I get, see if they're the same. Because if they are, guess what? I'm sure it's God's in it. <laughs> but if we're getting different answers, we may just want to wait on the Lord. Over the years, we've had ministries start and stop. You go, why are you stopping that ministry? Well, it just doesn't look like the Lord's in it. Maybe we'll start it up again. So, well, no, you've got to have ministry. You've got to have that ministry. Every other church in town has that ministry. Well, then go to every other church in town with that ministry. It's just not God's heart for us right now. And we're okay with that. It's fine. Whether we have 100 ministries or two, all we want is from, we just want God's will. Because when we are in God's will, then there is a peace that passes all understanding. And our hearts to reach this community with every ministry that's needed, with every door that's opened. But we don't have all the answers. And the minute we start coming back with all the answers, something's wrong. Something's wrong if I can give you every single answer. Yeah, I figured that out. This is the timetable on it. This is what's going to happen. We're going to get this, this. We're going to move this. just like a big chess game. And we totally figure out how it's going to happen. And while we're figuring it out, we also figure the Holy Spirit right out of the church. And now it's just a man-made organization that's making things happen. It becomes a corporation. And now we're running the church like a corporation. We've got to have everything going and make sure this is over here. And God. We just want to hear from the Lord. We want to be new wineskins. Because I believe that's what God's going to pour new wine into it. As we pray and we seek his face and still waiting for direction and still waiting for confirmation and giving God room to work and knowing he won't overwhelm us so he might pour new wine into new wineskin. And in relation to spiritual traditions, if God is bringing a teaching into your heart that is confirmed in the scriptures, but contrary to your tradition, please give up your tradition for the sake of God's word. You'll be blessed no matter where you pick that tradition up. And be careful of tradition so it doesn't become a stumbling block to you when the Lord wants to do something fresh, new, and exciting. And so back to Romans chapter 4, everyone thought Abraham was sinless, perfect. It was even in their writings. It was their tradition. But the word of God says otherwise. There were many failures. Now, verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God. He couldn't boast before God. Why? Verse 3, because what does the scripture say? Do you know that's a good question to ask when asked a spiritual question? Like somebody has something, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know a good response? Well, what does the scripture say? You might even want to get into that habit. 
Not does what, what does Pastor Ed say, not what Pastor Chuck say, not does what the Bible answer man says, or anyone else that might have an answer. The best question to ask is, what does the scripture say? Good question to ask. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Well, we've been in the book of Romans today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher, and he is the pastor of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. You can hear this message again when you visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play to download that for free today. I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christmas. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel searches out the true identity of the child in the manger. He consults experts on the Bible, archaeology, and messianic prophecy. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, this would be a wonderful time to hear from you. And you can place a resource request when you call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. We've made it possible to donate online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Thank you again for helping us reach out through the radio with the gospel and truth of Jesus Christ. Glad you've taken time out for our study in Romans. We'll pick up where we left off next time we get together on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora. 